Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydock, try to guess my guests' favourite things about their chosen Doctor Who story. Hello, Toby. Peter Ware here, Deputy Editor of Doctor Who magazine. The story I've chosen for you is, I think, one of the lesser-known stories in, in the Doctor Who canon. Um, it's completely missing from the archives, uh, but if it was ever to be returned, I think it would very, very quickly become a firm fan favourite because of the performances of the lead actors. The story I'm talking about is The Highlanders, 1966-67. Patrick Troughton's second story as the Doctor. It's just superb, vastly underrated. Well, thank you to Peter Ware assistant editor of Doctor Who magazine, which a title he has held for many, many years. Uh, and he's one of the most enthusiastic uh, and genuinely jolly people uh, you could ever meet. He used to be a dentist, you know, uh, who has who decided of all the stories to choose was the Highlanders and we've got to episode four. Thank you for joining me on it so far. Let's see if we can uh, uh, fling our way out of the Highlanders uh, with a plomb. Uh, I, I'm slightly concerned because I'm, you know, we've done three episodes of a story we can't see. I think I've told you every fact at my disposal. Um, so I'm slightly worried because I've also got a talk and uh, choose two things. In fact, I should have said all of this over the action because that would have bought me a couple of minutes. Strap yourselves in, guys. We're going to Scotland. Uh, so, three, two, one. Start the episode now. So, here we are. We're going... Well, yeah, a word about Hugh David, the director. He... Uh, I, th I think I mentioned he was one of those people that you know he, he died you know he was interviewed and then he died not long after and you go well he must have been old and, and now I, I you know I know people of, of that age he was still working on a director called Romy Allison I think took over but I can't remember the name of the thing that he was working on now and Romy Allison had been a I remember had been assistant for a product assistant on the Leisure Hive um, uh, but yes um, Hugh David has been very unlucky because none of his episodes of Doctor Who uh, exist. And Elwyn Jones, a Welshman, Hugh David, a Welshman, Elwyn Jones, doing the Scottish story. Um, Elwyn Jones, I, I've, th there, is, there, is, there is a picture of, there are pictures about, and he was a big cheese with Zed Cars and, and Softly Softly. Um, seems odd that he still gets a credit when, when he chose the setting and the period. And I don't think they'd wanted to do, I think Innes Lloyd was so again the historicals i don't think they'd wanted to do it but they'd sort of committed oh and that's the point hugh david was going to direct he was directing the second patrick troughton story which this is um but it, the scripts he got were for the underwater menace and he just went nope i am not doing that and so they swapped the order about so actually troughton's second story should have been uh, another sci-fi adventure with a mad scientist and his pet octopus but instead uh, uh, Hugh David uh, did this, uh, and it was it was brought slightly forward. So, um, so the, yeah, so it's slightly anomalous in in that sense as well. Um, 
Uh, and ben, Ben's Navy training, Navy thing comes into force here where he gets to do a bit of swim. I like it when companions get to, you, you know, show their, their special bits of uh, pluck. Although I'm sure my granddad used to tell stories of sailors who couldn't swim because it was better to just if, you know, terrible things happened just to drown. I'm sure that's a thing he said, which seemed <laughs> seemed awful to me. And Jamie can't swim in this, can he? Another disguise from Patrick Troughton. And I, I like the voice he puts on uh, here. And uh, it's a great look, the sort of wounded, bewhiskered soldier. Uh, he's got such a great face. And, and Ben looks so... The telesnap of Michael Craze covered in water. He looks absolutely freezing. Um, but again, a lot of these things have a sort of filmic look about them. But uh, uh, this, I think the stuff with the water and the... And the, and the paddle boat are not film which you'd sort of expect and, and I thought maybe some of the stuff in the sort of uh, the, the, the jail that they were in in episode 2 and 3 would be sort of slightly filmic because of the nature of the sets but no, um, the, the water is and the stuff outside is but uh, you know the water and the plank that boaty stuff is but the rest of it is studio so well done um, Hugh David was very highly regarded as a director from the people that I have spoken to. So I have high hopes this would look, uh, this would look like a good production. Um, and he was married to Wendy Williams, who plays Vira in the Ark in Space. Uh, so uh, there's another fact to put in your pipe and smoke it. Um, and I think David Garth was... I think David Gard's wife was friends with with uh, David Garth was friends with Nicholas Courtney um, was David Garth married to Geraldine Newman who plays Hilda in ever decreasing circles or did I make that up who knows uh, if you're uh, if you're listening to the podcast version, the video version of this will have a clarification. Oh no, I've invented a thing recently called "I think you'll find" where I correct any mistakes I throw in. Uh, but I'm going to say maybe he was married to Geraldine Newman, who uh, was Hilda in Ever Decreasing Circles, which is again is a sort of reference to people of my age that is perfectly normal. But I know loads of Doc Two fans have come since, and when I go, "Oh, so and so was in so and so," and they go. And what's this so-and-so of which you speak? Um, uh, I remember Andrew Pixley telling me about... Um, um, he's talking to Emily Cook, who is a very knowledgeable uh, and smart person. Uh, and he was talking to her about Sapphire and Steel. And she was going, well, I've, you know, I don't know that. I've never seen her. But of course, of course, it was probably on before she was born. So why would she know it? Just in the same way that um, there's loads of science fiction made since that I've, I've never seen. You only know what you know, don't you? Um... And I, I mean, my science fiction knowledge is is actually quite poor, if I'm honest. I've I've not seen a lot of Farscape, you know. Uh, uh, I've, I've, let's not go into the sci-fi I've seen or haven't seen in order to distract us from the fact that I don't know very much about the Highlanders. Uh, I, they've got a nice bond now, Kirsty and 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 Polly, and so. And of course, they're they're selling the Highlanders into slavery. That's the that's the sort of dastardly plan. Um, and I know that um, I had cause to ring Derek Martin, Charlie Slater, 
off of EastEnders uh, this week. And then I've and he's in this. He's one of the so he's in the Smugglers as one of the the sword fighters, but he's one of the sword fighters in this as well. Um, and what actually one of the guys in the hold um, is Gordon Craig. Uh, who is the guy that doubles for William Hartnell in episode three of The Tenth Planet. So he's a sort of emergency doctor, uh, uh, who I presume is long dead, um, but, you know, uh, 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 an extra and a walk-on, but who uh, has had the honour, and not many people have, of playing Doctor Who. And he did it because, uh, cause, yeah, William Hartnell uh, uh, couldn't do episode three of The Tenth Planet relatively late in the day. But Gordon Craig is also the name of a great theatre practitioner, and it's it's not the same one. But uh, that means uh, uh, it's not very easy to find much out about uh, our Gordon Craig. He's got a great face, hasn't he, Solicitor Gray? And he's a good villain, uh, and he's actually keeping it pretty. Oh, there's Pat Gorman. Oh, how gorgeous, Pat Gorman ubiquitous extra you can and in the in the recon i'm watching he's he's wearing a woolly hat and he's uh standing behind patrick troughton uh pat gorman there he is turns up in doctor who i think between what dalek invasion of earth and attack of the cybermen uh i think in probably in more episodes than anybody else he's in everything you i remember somebody had recommended the sandbaggers uh, 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 on DVD and I got that and said this is a brilliant series you'll love it well I did love it it's fantastic um, uh, and the first person you see is Pat Gorman in the street uh, <laughs> uh, what a legend and actually he uh, when I when I was getting divorced and I stayed with a friend who looked after me uh, I discovered that Pat Gorman actually lived about three streets away but I never had the pleasure I did, uh, I did write to him uh, and he, he sent back signed pictures but he wasn't terribly interested in being interviewed and i spoke to his daughter after he died uh, and he was you know happy to sign things and stuff but he didn't didn't particularly want to go back and i think was not necessarily comfortable with being interviewed there is an interview with him on a thing called i was a doc two monster that was a, a little documentary short put on before the planet of the daleks repeats uh, celebrating 30 years of doc two and I tried to track down the rushes for that so that we get a bit more of Pat Gorman, but I tracked down the rushes of pretty much every other interview apart from the Pat Gorman one. It's probably out there somewhere. I would be surprised if it wasn't. Uh, but I didn't get hold of it in time to write my little... I know I did a little bit for Doc 2 magazine and a, a bit for my blog. Uh, I'm loving the atmosphere of this. Um, I mean, we talk of the atmosphere of the 60s stuff and as i say sometimes something like tomb comes back and it's 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 the atmosphere is in the is in the performance but it's not in the in the shadows um whereas the the smoke and it's amazing how simple things like a lot of smoke and some some shadowy lighting can be um uh yes i i the lead actually doesn't do all that much, does he? It's very much a sitting down part. He must have been quite relieved when, if it, you know, if he'd if had a long week, he was just like, oh, well, I, I just have to have a sort of lie down here. Um, <laughs> you, you work with actors sometimes. You go, should I? I think I should sit down at this point. Because <laughs> you know, it's going to be a long run of the play. And <laughs> I, I, I really think my character would, pro would probably find a chair 
almost immediately. <laughs> um, and uh, and I did Time Lash for this recently, which I think will have come out before this. I'm mixing up the order so that historians in the future can piece together the production order. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know some people will have taken that seriously, that I think will be historians in the future uh, looking at, caring about this. I'm fully aware that that is not a thing. Um, uh, but yes, uh, and, and Dickin Ashworth as Sezom uh, spends pretty much the second half of part two leaning on his elbow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we like to. He's yes. It, there's actually, I quite like the way that the we enjoy the three tiers of villainy, and I think they're 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 nicely balanced. So you've got very over the top pirate guy. You've got very sort of cold and cunning, and and. Uh, uh, you know, very civilized, although he's doing a deeply uncivilized thing, uh, Solicitor Grey, and then, you know, the rather obsequious uh, Perkins. Oh, I'm doing my German accent again. Um. <laughs> um, I do love Patrick Troughton. I hope you do too. Um. Oh, yes, you're, you're at my house, aren't you? You're at my welcome. Uh, it's coming up to Christmas here in Haydock Towers. Uh, and I have to admit, I have been putting off doing the Highlanders. Peter, because he's a very fastidious and hardworking and nice chap, came in pretty early when I sent requests out and said I've chosen the Highlanders. And it loomed. Uh, so if, if, if this is vaguely entertaining stick with me do please because this is uh this is this is what i was uh, uh especially worried about i'm just trying to think what what uh how we discovered how we discovered things about it there are far more telesnaps as i say than that were printed in that doctor who magazine but uh, uh, it's it's amazing how again isn't it beautiful that doctor who came back sort of piece by piece so telesnaps had been seen uh, the power of the Daleks telesnaps existed, um, and there are there are a few off-air pics of episode seven of the Dalek Master Plan, and then these came back, uh, and then I think it was when Marcus Hearn said, "Well, let's look at the BBC written archives," uh, uh, and came across, you know, a whole stash. Uh, of telesnaps so but it was rather glorious that actually oh and the, i think there'd been a few from the moon base as well i think michael wolf the actor from the moon base had some so so bits had come in which is almost which is better that's a much better way round than uh uh you know us marcus and finding the written archives first and having that big stash then us then, then it being then some being found that were duplicates of ones that, that had already come so uh, doctor who's history was sort of peeled away layer by layer now i'm suspecting uh, this fight will have been very very good um just because it's got it's got stunt guys doing it peter diamond was a was a very very good fighter ranger um he's on hand to uh, to supervise the fights and i think gets a credit as sailor in this as well um nice that willie mckay gets to to fight trask um but uh, yeah a, a a director as good as 
Hugh David, although I don't know how much of this was done on film. And of course, a, a film fight and a studio fight are very different beasts. But uh, uh, I'm prepared to give it the benefit of the doubt. There seems to be a lot of coverage. Um, but I mean, we have no idea, do we? Um, and that's that sort of touches upon what I was talking about with the telesnaps and things. We, uh, you know, so much of this is left to our imagination, and that's a blessing in some ways because it's exciting. Uh, but it's it's based on a tragedy, um, you know. It's it's you know, yeah, uh, you know. It, any any connection we do get, uh, or any on any scant little fragments that we we do enjoy, based on the fact that we only have scant little fragments because, uh, and it's interesting, isn't it, that um, oh, trust gets thrown overboard, um, that we d none of the fight sequence from this is featured in the Australian censor cuts so that's interesting and of course this this reconstruction has I think I may have just been a bit dim and a, and a, and a lot of the the stills may have been from something else the the the, the genuine doc 2 one telesnaps seem to be of a slightly different hue so I may have just uh, I may have just given you a bum steer i may have given you a not very accurate uh, recreation of <laughs> which is under the circumstances only appropriate but even if only a, a, a few fragments of what i said uh, bore in any way uh, bore relation to the reality that is apposite um and because jamie got to kill trask um but he's he's not had a, he's not had, He's, he's not had a wild amount to do in in the story so it, I don't think it was always obvious that he was going to join I like the fact that Perkins comes good uh, yeah the, and, and you know the, the, the sort of Dickensian Clark uh who, for all his humility, sir, has a little bit of a survival instinct, but also I think because he's a because he's a nice character, it's it's, it's not all opportunism. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's partially as well because he, you know he's a victim of circumstance and he's trying to survive, and um, I think it's a nice moment of it because if Sylvester Grey is not going to die, which is unusual. For a Doctor Who villain, you know Trask is the one there to get, um, uh, you know the 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 the, the mortal uh, conclusion. Uh, whereas uh, Gray, unusually, yes, does not die, but he does get he does get his comeuppance, not just at the hands of the Doctor, but his servant, who he's sort of bullied around a bit, gets a the little man gets a nice victory, which I enjoy and might well be uh, actually what I choose for my moment um, we're glad to have you with us too Fraser Hines who uh, on a four week engagement uh, as uh, anybody that's associated with Doctor Who will tell you uh, uh, 
you will never leave and uh, he certainly never has and he's in every trap and story bar the very first uh which is a pretty hefty uh a pretty pretty hefty contribution to the show good for him he's a bit of a doctor who legend uh and i think his rapport with patrick troughton is one of the highlights of the era um and he's oh and fraser yes of course because uh, we're going to have a new character come in now and 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 F- fraser always um mentions uh guy middleton who was had been a sort of 30s and 40s matinee idol um towards the end of his career and his life here but yes colonel atwood uh is 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 played by uh, uh an actor of quite good of, of, of good stock and it's uh you know it's very much a cameo appearance um oh he's not actually here yet so i've i've just said everything about him before he's come on the scene and um oh is this the first we've seen of algernon in in this episode so actually the pirate story is the ship story is gone the slave story is gone uh and it's more just facilitating the egress of uh of the doctor and his chums um, oh, poor old Algernon Fish. I am feeling a bit sorry for him now. There is Guy Middleton. Uh, and he really is playing sort of upper class twit, which is which is rather fun. Um, but uh, yeah, Fraser always goes, oh God, we got Guy Middleton. It was, uh, you know, that was amazing. But yeah, they get him for, for one episode. Um but he doesn't get he doesn't get star billing or anything uh you know he's uh wanders in for a bit i'd be interested to see i haven't seen the paperwork for this i'd be interested to see because of the way that the bbc pay people uh if you've done a lot for the bbc um you know even coming in for one episode you might end up being being paid more than everybody else and and it's often very little to do with you know the billing or the size of the part as well the paperwork i have seen it's very interesting to see who uh, who gets paid what and as I say it's off it's it, it, the BBC system is you get paid a little bit more every time you perform for them and you know your bar will be set by your agent at various points in in the career so uh, how much it goes up by you know will depend on status a little bit but uh, yeah um, c- c- continued and frequent employment bumped your fee up quite a lot and working on film bumped your fee up quite a lot it's amazing how you know, doing a couple of stints in the film sequences meant that you got paid a lot more than people that went to rehearsal and 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 studio. And actually, uh, the the Finch stuff is nice. That as 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 uh, as as with Perkins, who's the sort of worm that turned Finch. Finch gets his moment. Finch starts off as a bit of an arse. Then he becomes a sort of hapless uh, stooge uh, of, 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 of Polly's machinations uh, and, you know, her, 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 her game contribution and her, um, and her quick-wittedness. Um, but actually, he gets a chance to, uh, to better himself. Uh, and and do the right thing, uh, and and uh, help. So Gray actually gets to come up and twice. 
he's had a comeuppance at the hands of Perkins, and now he's got a comeuppance at the hands of uh, the, the the other, you know, slight, slightly hapless underdog sort of character. Oh, Peter Welch, by the way, is the sergeant. Um, turns up again in the android invasion as Mr. Morgan in the pub. Uh, always nice to see actors crop up a couple of times in Doctor Who. Still waiting for that Dallas Cavell interview, though. <laughs> I think that's lovely, and Polly kisses him. And it's a funny thing about time travel, though, because as soon as, as soon as he's soon as they go you know in Polly's time Algernon Finch has been dead for centuries and it's very funny how I often sometimes think that when we watch a war film you know and we go oh they've survived the film the fact is they could die the very next day well it's 1917 the other day go, oh they've survived you go yeah but it's 1917 there's a whole year to go <laughs> um and, uh, but but you know yes our our lives with the people in the stories it's somehow satisfying to us that if they survive our time with them that's okay because you know when Jamie gets dropped off at the end of the war games you know the first thing that happens is a red coat tries to shoot him and the doctor goes oh look at Jamie he's doing that and you sort of go yeah but now he is now massively imperiled and his chances of survival are <laughs> are very small indeed especially as all his mates <laughs> have gone away. Um, so this is the remount. This is the night filming. So uh, strictly speaking, because it was filmed twice, it's possible that uh, two versions of uh, this could exist somewhere. They won't, but uh, but t two were filmed. Oh, but there's not even any... It's not that complicated a scene. There's not even any dialogue. Goodness me. Uh, in that film... Wow, so Jamie's coming on board is is rather is what Jamie coming on board is very little happens with that I'm all, I almost want to rewind that and go was I not paying attention so I won't I won't go t on about it too much but it seemed like a very um, peripheral moment really it was just a sort of we're all getting into the TARDIS and off we go not a sort of come on Jamie with the stuff of legend which we do now but no anyway um, so Jamie is on board the TARDIS next week Doctor Who and the underwater menace ha 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 oh nobody's chosen that yet uh, I will have a great time with the underwater menace for reasons I will explain when I do it should I still be doing this um, uh, uh, and have not found anything better to do I should have started this at the beginning of the plague they found a vaccine now so I, I mean I may as well stop I'm not going to um, so the uh, the two things so a thing about episode 4 and a thing as a bonus thing as a whole my thing about episode 4 is Perkins clicking his fingers in the face of Solicitor Grey uh it's it's well maybe a him and Algernon the fact that both of those characters get their moment where um they become because of their exposure to the TARDIS crew they do the right thing they they become better people um and they both have a moment a sort of punch the air moment uh or the 60s equivalent of and my thing about the whole story I think is the contributions of Ben and Polly because Ben got, gets to do his brave 
thing and gets thrown over the edge and he's you know he escapes from the knock because he's a, he's a sailor so he's you know that, that, that i like all of that and he's and he tears up the he tears up the uh, the contracts doesn't he uh, uh, uh and and very much steers the highlanders around the doctor's madness because they don't quite know how to take him and ben's the sort of voice of reason ben catches on when they don't and polly who's stuff with uh kirsty and and with finch is brilliant and she's very game and she's very smart uh and it, you know it's her idea to do the orange selling thing uh and uh, and, and has a really good contribution to the story that she doesn't get in some of the others, it has to has to be said. Um, so yeah, the contributions of Ben and Polly, I think, are, are lovely in uh, in in that story. What what does Peter say? But I am going to go back and and uh, and and watch that end to see Jamie's joining of the show. Episode four. Well, the, the one thing obviously I haven't mentioned yet is Fraser Hines as Jamie. This was, of course, Fraser Hines' first appearance as Jamie in the story. Uh, and he doesn't get to do an awful lot in the first three episodes, but in episode four, Jamie comes into his own. He takes a lead role in the, the fight aboard the Annabelle, the, the slaver ship, uh, towards the end of the episode. And he takes on Captain Trask in a sword fight, eventually forcing Trask overboard uh, and into the Firth. So heroic Jamie then escorts the Doctor, Ben and Polly back to the TARDIS uh, and, and departs with them at the end of the story and the rest of course is history. So that's my choice for episode four, Jamie coming into his own with a sword fight against Captain Trask. And finally, uh, my bonus thing that I love about the Highlanders is the Doctor's love of hats. Now uh, this was something which was dropped fairly early on in the second Doctor's run uh, I, I think they, you know, they, they try to pull in his trousers a bit, and they calm down his wig, and and they basically, when Maurice Barry came along with the moon base, he just cut a lot of Patrick Crown's eccentricities away, and we get the second Doctor, which we know um, for the remainder of his tenure. But in the Highlanders, and like Power of the Daleks before it, the Doctor has an inordinate love of hats. He's got the, the little Highland cap, which he finds in Episode One. Uh, he's got his own hat, of course, the, the Paris bow. Uh, which many fans know as the stovepipe, but it's, it's a Paris bow, I believe. Um, he's got the, 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 the cap of the, uh, the, the, the kitchen maid, uh, which he pops on for most of episode three. Um, he's got a soldier's hat, which we see at the start of episode four, so an English red coat hat. Uh, and there's also a hat which unfortunately doesn't survive in any visual form, like the telesnaps or any of the few stills which exist from the story, which is a sailor's hat, which I think Ben shows him uh, in episode three. So. That's my bonus thing, the Doctor's love of hats. Hope you enjoyed the story as much as I did, Toby. Oh, Peter, where? Well, I did now because I think that's my, one, a Paris bow. I've always called it the stovepipe hat. So uh, I would like a fact like that. Uh, I, I've learned something. I hope you have too. Um, I hadn't adumbrated the number of hats uh, that the Doctor encounters. And I'm a hat wearer myself. I... I'm indoors for this, but I, I'm generally, I mean, I don't leave the house without a hat and I have a variety of them. So uh, you'd have thought I would have been a bit more uh, uh, simpatico with the millinery. But um, uh, that's, those are those are great choices. And funny, I touched on, I touched on Jamie, but actually went the other way and went with Ben and Polly. I think, and I think 
probably I took Fraser Hans for granted just because I know, you know, that he has much to come. Whereas I, I slightly lament that, you know, this this spells the doom of Ben and Polly really, and uh, and their their contributions are rather diluted, um, and uh, uh, and they're they're slowly and rather unceremoniously uh, edged out when Innes Lloyd goes. Oh, I like uh, I like the uh, I like the relationship between uh, uh, these two, the Doctor and Jamie. Um, so it was important to, for me to choose Ben and Polly because I love them. Um, but so the love of hats and Jamie, two very good choices, two things I didn't choose. So after a moment of uh, where it looked like in episode two, uh, I might uh, emerge from this with some honours. Uh, sadly not. Um, I've, uh, uh, I've much chance of winning this <laughs> as I have a finding a tin of tartan paint. Um, well, look, we got through the Highlanders. Uh, I think, uh, I hope that the next Patrick Troughton story I do is one with moving pictures. In fact, a couple have been chosen. Uh, I do have some more missing episodes to come. Uh, at the moment, I haven't got many new series uh, episodes to come, so I might have to, um, I might have to ask around for some younger people. I've asked quite a lot of young fans, and they say yes, and, and they, they haven't got back to me. So, um, anyway, I'll keep flinging it out there. Uh, I've got... As I record this, there's a couple of weeks to go till Christmas. I think you will hear this uh, well after Christmas. So Happy New Year to you all. Uh, thanks for joining me in Bonnie, Scotland. Who knows where we'll be next? Uh, but for now, Awa ye goo. Be on your way. Ta-ta. Well, I may have lost the competition uh, for this particular instalment of Happy Times and Places where I was trounced by Peter Ware, but I think I'm even Stevens in the I think you'll find stakes because David Garth was married to Geraldine Newman, who played Hilda in ever-decreasing circles. However, I made a boo-boo. I'd, I'd initially thought that the the stuff on the the little singular boat not the the annabelle but the little the little paddle boat was on film so i had a look between episodes and uh, i i'd sort of misread the the filming which i thought had just taken place on the annabelle so cuz it seemed a bit of an ambitious studio set to me um and then having said that i was filled with doubt so i went back and checked and i was right first time but I was wrong with what I said, therefore, in the broadcast that uh, uh, the filming was also... It wasn't just the, the boat and the outside stuff. It was the little paddle boat, the dock. The dock stuff, all of that with the water, was filmed, which I would have been... I was surprised that uh, if it hadn't been because of the amount of water and the nature of the set. So I was right, then I was wrong, and now I'm right again. Um, <laughs> oh, that's life. So um, there we go. Uh, I think you'll find uh, uh, I've been both right and wrong at exactly the same time. And hello again, everybody. I did go back to have a look at Jamie's entrance. And of course, it's all in the script. He sort of hangs back and Ben opens the TARDIS and... 
Polly drags him in, but of course there aren't really any telesnaps of, of that. In fact, the only people we see in the telesnaps are, are, are Troughton and Michael Craze, and it's all covered in the dialogue in the barn. So uh, that was clearly um, rewritten um, because it was studio. So it, uh, you know, they had a they had a while between uh, the, the the filming in the studio in which to get that scene in order, and presumably in the original, Jamie had uh, instead gone off to, uh, you know. Can continue the battle, or it would have been quite a, it would have would have been a pretty tricky end for him. Uh, although, well, or even he might not have even got that far. He might have stayed on the Annabelle, uh, and all of the uh, subsequent stuff was to, would have taken place without him. Yes, that's probably more likely. I don't know. One of those two things. Anyway, yes, it's not as cursory as I thought, uh, because it all, all the uh, all the explanation about Jamie coming aboard the TARDIS takes place in in the barn. But uh, somebody was gassing during that. Who could that have been? Uh, anyway, happy to clear that up. So you don't need to tweet me or send me an email or write me a letter or kidnap my children and demand an apology for being slightly vague about a fact. Ta-ta! Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My guest this time around is Peter Ware, assistant editor of Doctor Who magazine. Special thanks to those shackled in change aboard the SS Patronville, Daryl McLean, Pip Maidley, Nick Mellish, Justin E. Monaghan, Dave Owen, Russell Parker, Ken Patterson, Thomas Payne, Quaradors, Peter Reed, Gavin Rymill, Tom Selinski, Jim Sangster, Paul Shields, Richard Smith, David Spencer, Dave Stevens, Adam Stone, Paul Taylor-Greaves, Sidney Trout, John Turner, Gary Wales, Alistair Wallace, Peter Ware, Kevin West, Rich Wiggins, John Williams, Sidney Wilson and Pascal Zierka. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates, the artwork is by Dylan Patterson and thumbnails by Gavin Rymill. If you would like to join that list of names, and there are more than those mentioned, thanks to everybody, of course, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby where you get advanced releases, exclusive material, and lots of other stuff, including a badge if you play your cards right. And uh, you get charged as soon as you join up. That didn't used to be the case, but some people joined and then vanished before payday. Very clever. I admire their chutzpah. So I've had to put things in place. And you also get a discount if you sign up for a whole year. And I promise to let you go at the end of it. If you prefer to do the odd one-off contribution instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. That too is appreciated, as is the fact that some people in these troublesome financial times cannot support anything financially. You are nonetheless very welcome listeners, and I'm grateful to you for giving me your time. If you could, however, rate these five stars and give them positive reviews and feedback wherever humanly possible, that would really help with my algorithms, and I always like it when people help with my algorithms. Okay, cheers. Uh, You can sign up to my YouTube channel where there is a video version of this. You can follow things that I do at www.tobyhadoke.com and you can also tune in to a live comedy show I do every Tuesday at twitch.tv forward slash excessmalarkey. It's me presenting four special guests from the worldwide comedy circuit. It's a couple of hours. It's totally free, although we do accept donations, and it's a lot of fun.